0: Part 2. The Volunteers. Fort Sumter. February twenty-fourth, 1861. The toil of the week is ended. Nearly a month has passed since I wrote here. Events have crowded upon one another. On the 4th the cannon boomed in honour of Jefferson Davis's election, and day before yesterday Washington's birthday had made the occasion of another grand display and illumination, "'in honour of the birth of a new nation "'and the breaking of that union which he laboured to cement. "'We drove to the race-course to see the review of troops. "'A flag was presented to Washington artillery "'by Lady Senator Judah Benjamin, made an impression speech. "'The banner was orange-satin on one side, "'crimson silk on the other, "'the pelican and the brood embroiled in a pale green and gold. "'Silver-crossed cannon surmounted it, Orange-coloured fringe surrounded it, and crimson tassels drooped from it. It was a brilliant, unreal scene, with military bands clashing triumphant music, elegant vehicles, high-stepping horses, and lovely women richly apparelled. Wedding cards have been pouring in till the contagion has reached us. Edith will be married next Thursday. The wedding dress is being fashioned, and the bridesmaids and groomsmen have arrived. Edith has requested me to be a special mistress of ceremonies on Thursday evening, and I have told this terrible little rebel who talks nothing but blood and thunder, yet faints at the sight of a worm, that if I fill that office no one shall mention war or politics during the whole evening on pain of expulsion. March 10th, 1861 The excitement in this house has risen to fever pitch during the past week. The four gentlemen have each a different plan for saving the country, and now that the bridal bouquets have faded, the three ladies have again turned to public affairs. Lincoln's inauguration and the story of the disguise in which he travelled to Washington is a never-ending source of gossip. The family board being the common forum, each gentleman, as he appears, first unloads his pockets of papers from all of the southern states, and then his overflowing heart to his eager female listeners, who in turn relate, inquire, sympathise or cheer. If I dare express a doubt that the path to victory will be a flowery one—eyes flash, cheeks burn, and tongues clatter, till all are checked up suddenly by a warning for order, order, from the amiable lady presiding. Thus we swallow politics with every meal. We take a mouthful and read a telegram, one eye on the table, the other on the paper. One must be made of cool stuff to keep calm and collected, but I say but little— This war fever has banished small talk, though all the black servants move about quietly, never seeming to notice that this is all about them. How can you speak so plainly before them, I say? Why, what matter? They know that we shall keep the whip-handle. April 13th, 1861. More than a month has passed since the last date here. This afternoon I was seated on the floor covered with the loveliest of flowers, arranging a floral offering for the fair, when the gentleman arrived and with the papers bearing news of the fall of Fort Sumter, which at her request I read to Mrs. F. April 20th. The last few days have glided away in a halo of beauty, but nobody has time or will to enjoy it. War, war, it's the one idea. The children play only with toy cannons and soldiers. The oldest inhabitant goes by every day with his rifle to practice. The public squares are full of companies drilling and are now fashionable resorts. We've been told that it is best for the women to learn how to shoot too, so as to protect themselves when the men have all gone to battle. Every evening after dinner we adjourn to the back lot and fire at a target with pistols. Yesterday I dined at Uncle Ralph's. Some members of the bar were present and were jubilant about their brand-new confederacy. It would soon be the grandest government ever known. Uncle Ralph said solemnly, No, gentlemen, the day we secede the star of our glory set. The words sunk into my mind like a knell, and made me wonder at the mind that could recognize that and yet adhere to the doctrine of secession. In the evening I attended a farewell gathering at a friend's house, whose brothers are to leave this week for Richmond. There was music, no minor chord was permitted.